0: Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 1. I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. This is an account of Solomon's search for personal fulfillment He turns to the pursuit of pleasure and to the satisfaction of his senses He tries looking for true happiness in these things He is determined to pursue experience and elation In his heart, he calls himself to attention here, saying, go to now. He's going to prove, test and experiment on himself to see how he responds to mirth, joy, gladness and exhilaration. He is going to pursue pleasure. Now, interestingly, in the original Hebrew, uh, the word rendered pleasure here uh, is a word, quite simply, meaning good that which is pleasant, that which is agreeable. And so as Solomon pursues pleasure here we are not by any means thinking of activities which are necessarily sinful. there There are of course thankfully many pleasurable activities which are not sinful. And so Solomon is going to feast himself upon those things which all people generally agree are the good things of life. He is going to see if his heart can be satisfied by his doing all the things which usually make people happy. And of course as the most wealthy man in all the earth he has infinitely more resources Uh, than any other with which to indulge himself in the unbridled pursuit of all that is agreeable and pleasant and good. And so he immerses himself in pleasure to a degree which uh, most people could only dream of. And there is simply no enjoyable human experience which he deprives himself of. But having carried out that pursuit of pleasure for all that he is worth, he reaches the conclusion that having sought for fulfilment and happiness in these things, they have all failed to obtain for him any lasting contentment at all. He can only declare, after his doubtless very expensive endeavours, that all this seeking after pleasure is vanity emptiness utter futility he goes on in verse 2 i said of laughter it is mad and of mirth what doeth it now the word rendered laughter here uh, has the sense of to make sport and to play Solomon indulged himself in recreation and what we might call recreational activities. He indulged himself in amusement and in a general seeking after joy and exhilaration. His endeavours may have included physical activity, including what we would today call sport. He found all his efforts, however, to be an ultimate madness. And that word madness also has the connotation of boasting. So Solomon gave himself to know and experience all the things which men boast about in the area of sensual delight and personal fulfilment. He literally revelled in this world's pleasures. Nevertheless, he found them to be loud and brash and essentially empty. Yes, he did enjoy them for a while, but they did not satisfy his heart. He doubtless organized magnificent social occasions with much banqueting, merriment and high living along with scintillating wit and conversation. He would have sought out every possible entertainment and diversion. And he would have done all these things on a sophisticated level, because he was a really intelligent man. Yet, despite all his indulgence, and all his pursuits, to satisfy his heart, as he looked back and considered the ultimate effect of all these pursuits upon him, he can still only conclude, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? There were occasions when with his friends, he would laugh and laugh and laugh, but he looks back upon it and he says, what lasting effect has this produced upon me? What contentment has it given to me? And he had to conclude that ultimately he has received nothing from those experiences. And he goes on in verse 3, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. So he gives himself to wine. Now, we're not thinking here of drinking wine to excess, but rather of a sophisticated exploration of the joys of wine, so as to obtain the optimum satisfaction. Give myself unto wine is uh, literally, in the original language, to draw my flesh, with wine, to draw my flesh with wine. And so the sense is to attract the flesh and satisfy the senses with wine. And so it was the satisfaction and stimulation of the flesh behind uh, this very refined study into the delights of wine which Solomon undertook. He sought to be exhilarated by means of his taste buds. So, we're not thinking here of the pursuit of mindless intoxication. Far from it. Because note that Solomon adds, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom. Now, the drunkard does not do that. So his examination of the joys of wine was cultured and restrained. He resolved also, we are told in verse 3, to lay hold on folly. Meaning that he sought to grasp folly so as to control it and keep it at bay. He sought to understand all the finer points of satisfying the human palate – not just with wine alone, but doubtless with food and drink generally. The goal being to find out the best things that men should do as they live out their limited number of days. And, of course, it is very sensible uh, to think carefully about what we eat and what we drink. Uh, But, of course, there is a danger, even in that sensible thinking about going too far, and to so focus upon what one eats and drinks, that one begins to do so with a kind of religious zeal which can then be a substitute for following God. Uh, For example, in our modern secular society uh, veganism is becoming increasingly popular. And uh, people are doing it because they feel that it is Morally virtuous to eat in such a manner and so we have to take care in these areas uh, that legitimate concern and attention to what one eats does not take on an almost idolatrous aspect because the Lord Jesus Christ said that it is not what goes into the mouth which defiles the man but it is what comes out of the mouth and what comes out of the mouth reflects what is in the heart well Solomon pursued the delights of one and he, he would have become an absolute expert in the subject And we're told in verse four, I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards. And here we see that Solomon also sought fulfillment on a creative level. He took a keen interest in the practical production of wine. And there may also have been a commercial aspect to this activity. He also threw himself, we are told, into grand architectural projects. He doubtless really loved beautiful buildings and found them inspiring. So he throws himself into great aesthetic and artistic creativity. The big question is this, however. Will he find true fulfilment in so doing. Verse 5, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water, to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. The king engages in stunningly beautiful landscaping and horticultural projects. He even constructs a sophisticated system of reservoirs to irrigate the great nurseries of trees which he has planted. Under Solomon, Israel was becoming something of a real earthly paradise with its stately buildings and beautiful parks. All the grandeur and beauty would one day take away the breath of the visiting foreign monarch, the Queen of Sheba. Solomon continues in verse 7, I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. And So Solomon establishes a magnificent royal household with numerous servants waiting upon him. Over time, the servants uh, would be born within his household. Growing up there and being utterly dedicated to the raw service. He also became an expert in animal husbandry. The term small cattle there refers to sheep and goats, as opposed to the great cattle, which are oxen and cows. Verse 8. I gathered me also silver and gold, and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers, and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments, and that of all sorts. Solomon's wealth was enormous, and it kept on attracting more wealth. We see a reference here in verse 8 to the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. Now this may refer to the gifts given to him by other kings and nations, including those subservient to him. The wealth just kept on rolling in to Israel at this time. The nation was being mighty mightily blessed by the Lord, because whether or not nations prosper is most definitely according to scripture an aspect of the providence of God. Solomon also pursued artistic enjoyment, especially by means of music. He formed choirs and orchestras. Now, as Christians we can, of course, appreciate great art and musical talent as being wonderful gifts of God. But we say that also with the proviso that such things for those who deny their maker, can become idols. And so music is a wonderful gift of God. Musical talent is a wonderful gift of God. But the giver of these good things must always be acknowledged. Otherwise these things become idols. I live for my art, That's idolatry. Verse 9. So I was great and increased. More than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. No king in Jerusalem. Had ever known such outward splendour. And majesty. As Solomon. And of course there were. Canaanite kings there before David conquered the city. Now the phrase in verse 9, also my wisdom remained with me, confirms that as Solomon indulged himself in all the pleasures which this world can offer, he did not do so in a foolish and a sinful manner. He was rather conducting a grand experiment to find true contentment and fulfilment in life. And he did so as a believer. Not as some kind of atheistic hedonist, he was a believer. His immersion in refined and sophisticated pleasure was a serious attempt to discover if the things of this world, rightly approached, really could satisfy the longings of his heart. Verse 10. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labour, And this was my portion of all my labour. And so Solomon admits here that he did derive much enjoyment from the many activities in which he engaged. He feasted his eyes upon beauty, both in nature and in that which man creates artistically. He feasted his ears upon beautiful music. He went riding in the mornings, dressed in the finest clothes and doubtless on the most magnificent horses. He would have enjoyed the most stimulating companionship. He drew great satisfaction from seeing come to fruition all his building, engineering, horticultural, and landscaping projects. Solomon was no ordinary individual. Let us just refer for one moment to 1 Kings 4 and verse 32. 1 Kings 4 32. And he spake 3,000 proverbs and his songs were a thousand and five. And he spake of trees, from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts, and of fowl, and of creeping things, and of fishes. So here we see that Solomon was a man of powerful intellect, and a real scientist. He was one of great creative ability also. He was personally a very talented songwriter. He also excelled as a, a botanist and a naturalist. He possessed expert knowledge on plants, ranging from the mighty cedar tree to the tiny hyssop which grows out of a wall. Now, God gave the nation peace and prosperity during his reign, meaning that he, as king, could devote his energies to the pursuit of the arts and sciences. He threw himself into maximising every single kind of human pleasure and fulfilment which this world has to offer. And he did so on a very highly intelligent and sophisticated level. He studiously endeavoured to ascend the highest peaks of cultural and scientific achievement. King Solomon, the Solomon of the Bible, could easily have held his own with an Einstein, an Isaac Newton, a Beethoven or a Shakespeare. His portion As verse 10 here puts it, that which befell him was to rejoice in his labour. So he is not denying that he did obtain pleasure in these things. He admits that. Yet, as we shall see in the next verse, his overall assessment of all his achievements is startlingly negative because we read in verse 11 I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labour that I had laboured to do and behold all was vanity and vexation of spirit there was no prophet under the sun. Solomon, incredibly, regards all his amazing artistic, cultural and aesthetic achievements as an ultimate vanity. (coughs) Are these the words of a man who has had more opportunity than anyone who has ever lived to maximise upon human happiness and fulfilment? Is he really telling us there is no profit in all that he has done and achieved? Is he really saying that nothing has ultimately been gained by all that he has done. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is saying just that. If we just glance forward to verses 15 and 16 of this chapter, it was the realisation of his Mortality that made Solomon come to this conclusion. It was the knowledge that all men very soon leave this earthly life, whether they be wise in earthly terms or whether they be fools. And so it was this, his mortality, which made Solomon reflect upon the ultimate vanity of all his wonderful achievements. Neither a man's learning and knowledge, nor his philosophical reasoning, nor his cultural and aesthetic pleasures, nor his earthly wealth can make him immune to death. If one views life purely in terms of gaining fulfilment and happiness from the things of this world, then the worldly wise, sophisticated and cultured man remains on exactly the same level as a brute base fool who lives only for the gratification of the moment. Art, culture, aesthetics, great achievements in commerce, science and agriculture, all these things ultimately provide no lasting fulfillment because death will render them to be ultimately temporary and so worthless. Solomon thus reflects that the great artist or the brilliant scientist or the profound philosopher will meet exactly the same end as those whose lives have been far more mundane, having spent all their time in the humdrum routines of lowly work. And so Solomon is asserting the universal truth here that Desh is the greatest of all levellers. The great wealth of Solomon's kingdom and all his personal knowledge in so many areas of study were all blessings from the Lord. But they were never ends in themselves. They could not satisfy in and of themselves the deep longings of the human heart. You see, all these good things with which Solomon indulged himself can only truly be appreciated in the context of a constant dependence and humbling of oneself before God. The purpose of human existence is not the enjoyment of all these good things. The purpose of human existence is to serve Almighty God in the light of eternity. What a better perspective on life so many people would have today if only they took time to consider their mortality and humble themselves before their Maker. Only Christ can truly satisfy the longings of the human heart. Verse 11. I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labour that I had laboured to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. There was no profit Under the sun. Under the sun. Is a phrase which means. On this world. Without reference to God and eternity. Far from taking pride in everything. Which he had achieved. Solomon actually began to hate. What he had been doing with his life. He could no longer take pleasure in his great learning, in his building projects, in his artistic achievements. He ends up despising them. Now, God, of course, had already granted him sufficient wisdom to have reached this conclusion without first having to immerse himself in all that this world can offer. However, his immense earthly privileges and resources had, sadly for a while, got the better of him, clouding somewhat his perspective. Despite all his heroic endeavours in every discipline of human knowledge, and having achieved more personal earthly fulfilment than is normally possible for anyone this highly gifted and intelligent man ended up by asserting that true happiness was not to be found in any of the things which he had devoted himself to having milked this world for the very best which it has to offer having soared to the lofty heights of personal pleasure and artistic and scientific achievement, Solomon could only conclude that as ends in themselves, all his great accomplishments had been a terrible waste of time. The true secret of personal fulfilment is to fear God and to serve him. And so, how does the book of Ecclesiastes actually end? Because it sums up all Solomon's experiences. Ecclesiastes 12 verses 13 and 14 Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil. So Solomon ends this book by asserting that real fulfilment is only to be found in living life in obedience to and to the glory of Almighty God. The purpose of life is not the maximisation of earthly pleasure, be it on the cruder level of fleshly enjoyment or on the more refined level of culture and learning. Life must rather be lived out in the knowledge that God is the judge of us all. So, having conducted his grand experiment into the purpose of human existence, Solomon concludes Ecclesiastes with that most fundamental and Unsophisticated of statements. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It is, in fact, for all its simplicity, a statement which infinitely excels all the accumulated wisdom which the world can offer. At the beginning of his reign, Solomon possessed the God-given wisdom of a humble believer. However, as time went on, he did become spiritually slack and allowed his earthly learning and his wealth to become snares to him he began to forget his utter dependence upon the Lord and even began to forget for a while his mortality. He looked to the things of this world to give him too much and the things of this world simply cannot meet man's deepest longings. Now as Christians we are not against commercial prosperity, scientific advance, learning, artistic beauty and cultural excellence. These things can greatly enhance the quality of people's lives. What we are being taught here however is that they must all be kept in their proper place. They must never be made the measure of a happy and fulfilled life. Solomon tried to make them the yardstick of his fulfilment. And when elevated to that role, they miserably failed him. If a man as wise as Solomon could once be allured and led astray, by the temporary enticements of this world, how much more must we be on our guard, seeking only the true wisdom which is from above? Let us then never allow the world and its learning and its culture to hinder our priority of serving Christ with all of our hearts, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man, amen. Let us join in singing hymn 137, hymn 137, What Shall We Offer Our Good Lord.
1: say, say to t- try to shout but strive in vain let thy word
0: do thank thee for thy word to us and be pleased to continue with us now as we gather together around thy table in remembrance of the death of thy son be with us powerfully we ask for we pray this in our saviour's precious name Amen. Amen